Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Hey everybody, and welcome to Author News Weekly. We've got a jumbled and mixed up team of authors this week. Nick and Jim were unable to join us, or we decided to put them on the back burner for later. So we've got Pippa, as always, but sitting in this week, we've got our illustrious narrator, Craig Hart. Say something deep and vocal. Vocalize something. Hey, yeah, everybody. Welcome to the show. <laughs> They're very good. In a world. <laughs> In yes. a world. And then we have a flashback <laughs> to with R.A. McGee, who's got that just that natural voice for radio. Say hi, R.A. Hello. Hi. Hi, R.A. R.A.'s happy to be here. I know it is a little weird though. It's like uh, hanging out with your ex and her new boyfriend because there's a new host. And I just, I had to wait until Jim wasn't here because of the lawsuits. It's real messy you know, <laughs> to get me on here now, but yeah. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Is there a, is there a restraining order that only works for like virtual? I don't know. Yeah. You'd be surprised at the kind of things Jim can articulate. I think RA is just plain hard to get. Yeah, yeah. Raise the value of his presence. That's I know my worth. <laughs> Stand firm. Stand Indeed. firm. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, we got some great news for you. This great news items for this. I don't know if it's great news, but it's great news items to talk about this week for, for us to overthink. So let's jump right in. The first one is should you write for anthologies? Is it worth it? And what if you have to pay? This is an interesting one for me because i get in i've never the all the anthologies that i've been asked to join have nothing to do with the genre i write so i always decline so i haven't had the experience yet of being in an anthology so what's your take on this let's start with talking about like anthologies just in general and if, if they're worth it and then we can jump into like the writer beware article and asks what if you have to pay who here's been in an anthology pippa all right Great. I've been in a few. I enjoy the, like, I don't get a chance to write short stories often because it's not really, that's not part of my marketing technique. It's, I'm not submitting them to magazines or anything. And so it's just nice to have a prompt. You're like, here, write a short story. It doesn't have to hang together for an entire novel length of stuff. You can just explore something cool. So that's fun. And usually it's people that I like. So you can be in an anthology, but I've never paid to be in one. Okay. What about you, R.A.? Yes. So I've been in a handful as well. Likewise, I've never paid to be in one. It's always been a group of like-minded people getting together and things that were genre appropriate with each other. Nick and I and Jim, a bunch of guys were in one, Kevin Tomlinson, a couple years ago. And I was in a few other ones. My experience has been mixed, a mixed bag. I find that I enjoy the anthologies more when I genuinely like all the people that are in them. And when I'm not as keen on everyone that's in it, it feels a little more like work or like I tried to do something for, you know, exposure grab or a money grab yeah. or something that maybe wasn't what I should be doing. In general, I've enjoyed the ones I've been in. So I guess I, I was misunderstanding. I have been in an anthology. I guess the 
assume the question was in an anthology targeted to hitting the USA Today bestseller list. Yeah, there are some of those as well. Yeah. And, and I, as I was thinking about this, I find that kind of a gray area because I think the intent is so they can put US Today bestseller by their name. Is it though? I don't know. I think so. Technically, yes, they were on the list, but I guess my question is does that imply they hit it on their own? I think, yeah, that's one of the things that's been a little weird is that was the primary purpose of the big anthologies. Like the ones that I was doing were for, like it was a set of sci-fi authors. And so they just yeah, yeah. different themes and there was never any sort of, we're going to make money on this. But that was always like what I was told. That's how you hit the USA Today bestseller list so that you can put it on your own books. And you're right. That is a little bit weird. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it i just it seems a little bit because <laughs> i'm a sketchy person but it just seems a little i mean because i think they a lot of readers would assume that to be the case that it was hit with a single book and on top of that i think the intent is to send that message and i've been invited to a couple of anthologies and the buy-in was like five thousand dollars i was invited to one of those as well i didn't do it but it i mean I don't know. I'm not trying to cast dispersions on anybody or any, whatever. If marketing is marketing, I suppose it just raises my eyebrow a bit is all. And I did have, I was a few years ago, I was invited to an anthology that was less than that. I think it was around 500 bucks. And I actually was going to do that one, but I was kicked off at the last minute because one of the organizers friends decided they want to get involved. So I was bumped. Hmm. Oh. With no real apologies. What's going on? And the person that I was dealing with is in this article. Oh. I won't mention their name. You can go read the article on your own, figure out who it was, but I didn't know. And I was just getting started in my author career at that point. So I had no idea. Just hey, this sounds good to me. This person sounds like they know what they're talking about. I will do it. Yeah. I've since learned that there is, apart from the slight eyebrow raising that it gets from me, there there's some actual shady stuff going on. And this article brings a lot of that to light. So I think it's important information for people to know, especially if you're, as I was at the time, just getting involved in the author, in your author career, because you could end up spending a lot of money for possibly little to no return. And on top of that, get yourself associated with people who have eh, since yeah. been dinged a little bit in their reputation. Yeah. I think there are really good reasons being an anthology and you've all brought up some of them like to get it. We throw around the word exposure a lot, like in a negative way. If you join, if you're in there with 10 or 20 authors and you all put a short story or a novella in, and it's like the first in your series, it gives people an opportunity to readers an opportunity to find you. And it's even legitimate to say that you might want to pay the organizer to do this or pay into a pool that's going for advertising or, or something like that. But in that case, it's rarely, you're really trying to make money directly off the anthology. There are people who try to make money off of anthologies, but anthologies seem to be very poor sellers as far as money makers go. Like they're good for, at the 99 cents and the free and maybe 2.99, but authors say that they rarely make money when they try to do them for a money-making reason. And then the other reason is to make a, is to make a list. And I think that's where there are legitimate people who just organize it. And they say, we want to be able to say we made a list. 
and like Craig says, I can I can see that. And I can also see the other side that like I'm like if I had it, I would probably still use it, but I would probably put right on an asterisk or phrase it in a way that made it clear that I was part of an anthology and made it. But then there are you people- You would say to today, bestseller yeah. asterisk. Asterisk, I just phrase it. <laughs> in the, and I've actually, on the topic of that, heard Nick say multiple times that he's like one eighteenth of a USA Today <laughs> like best-selling yeah. author. Uh, so he, he, he handles it pretty tongue in cheek because yeah, he yeah. was, I think he got his letters from a big anthology like that, that he's yeah. discussed openly multiple yeah. times. So. Yeah. So like it, this, but as this article illustrates, it can be a big business and there can be shady dealings going behind. It's not to say that all of them are, but read the article by writer beware, because it talks about some of the things you can look out for signs that it's not. And then like, also just, it's important to find some previous anthologies published by these people and find out what the experience is. Cause in the author community, everyone wants to help each other out usually. So you can find a couple of people usually that will share their experience and that's going to tell you whether you should do it or not do it or. Yeah. 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 I would also say it's a good idea for indies to be looking at the writer beware and author beware sites, partially because we're now getting to the point in the indie community and small press community where they're starting it's established enough that the people that were scamming on the traditionally published market are starting either the same people. I have no idea, or people are coming up with those scams again for the indie market. And so if you know the way that people tend to scam the traditional market, you will have an idea of what's, what's going on. But yeah, yeah anytime anyone asks you to collaborate, definitely run their name through. But it's interesting people. because I work for a small press that has, that does pretty well. And they got us, we got a solicitation to be part of an anthology where the buy-in was like $7,000. And, and mm-hmm. the goal was to make their, like our main, our big author, our biggest name author in our press, a to put it on the bestseller list. And so I feel like it was one of the same people that I recognized from the, so the indie people are going now into the, some of the, the indie presses, the small presses, they can charge a little bit more because these small presses feel like sometimes they have even more to gain than an individual author might. And it may be true, but it definitely wasn't worth $7,000 to be in this because, because it really comes down to, there's another thing that, com, that this all comes down to is don't be in an anthology. Don't necessarily be in an anthology just because you're invited to be in an anthology or because it looks good. It has to have a direct relation to the genre you write in. And like, you have to imagine, hey, if somebody reads this, my story, first of all, if somebody buys this anthology, is it my genre? And if they read my story in this anthology and like it, will they go over to my thing? So I, I get invited to write, I, mean, I don't write science fiction, but I get invited for some reason, they, people send me things to write science fiction, swords in space and military sci-fi. And I'm like, I write urban fantasy. And they're like, oh, there's a lot of crossover. Okay, <laughs> but like counterpoint, really. writing for Star Wars would have been really profitable for you. <laughs> Swords Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yes. If I could have got in early on that one. <laughs> early yes. adopter. But yeah. I sort of like I've seen a couple of things where they put the anthology together and the profits go to a charitable organization of some kind. The organizer yeah. gets a hundred bucks per person because of all the work they do and because they're going to have to disperse these royalties to the organization, et cetera. So it takes time. So I get that. But I think that's a neat way to go. I think that's the, really great. What is that organization that does it? They do all sorts of stuff. So they'll do like game anthologies and book anthologies. Mm. And- oh, it's like book 
bundle or book bundle or yes something or been bundle, in one of those. bundle was... rabbit or i don't remember it was, there's a couple there's a couple like that right yeah, Bundle. but I think that's a great way to do it. Because also, if you're considering setting up your own anthology, having it go to charity makes it so much easier than having to give the money to all you know, figure out how, who gets what for twenty different people in your in your, mm-hmm. in your anthology. Yeah. yeah, and the accounting there is you just have to account for the for the charity stuff and please account for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> charity of me. Mm-hmm. Yes, LLC. <laughs> All right, let's go to the, the next one. And I picked this one especially for Craig. Aww. Turns out, I love audiobooks. Audiobooks are my primary way of reading right now. Same. Driving, right, cleaning up the cleaning the house, doing gardening, walk, doing a lot of walking. Just love audiobooks. And but it turns out, according to this article, this, they did a study and found out that a lot of people seem to be using them almost like sleeping pills. How do you feel about that, Craig? I do it all the time. <laughs> I listen to an audiobook almost every night as I'm following asleep. And you can set your app you're using end at this chapter or end in 30 minutes. So I know it's not going to play the entire thing. And then at the next night, I just go back to the last thing I remember and pick up from there. It works. I think it's it's a great thing. I did want to say that I can reject, if you can reject something, the idea that listening to an audiobook is a passive way of consuming content. I think I know what the article means, but I don't like the way it said it because the brain's still working. It's still processing. Um, You just don't see outward evidence of this as in somebody holding a book or an e-reader. They're saying, you're not alive because I don't see your heart beating and and things are still happening. And for example, so I grew up in a really conservative religious household. We did not have a television. So I didn't see a TV or show or movie until I was like 20. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks, a lot of audio dramas, and that theater of the mind requires a lot of investment because you're creating this world in your head. You're not having it seen in front of you. So your mind is, it's still working. So I don't know that listening to an audiobook is quote unquote easier than reading a book. It just allows you to consume the content while you're doing something else at the same time, fixing dinner, doing the dishes, driving. It's really weird to me that that seems to be one of the most useless parts in like the e-reader versus paper book debate. It's just, does this actually count as reading? Like (laughs) everyone takes in language differently. I can't do audiobooks. I get inattentive. And if I've got a paper book, I can go back to where I was. And an audiobook, I have to try to figure out where I stopped paying attention. But sorry, that's happening in the background here. (laughs) It's all good. And it stopped. Um, (laughs) I'm at someone else's house. So it's very odd to me that people think it's a lesser form of taking in books. Are you offended when people read your books as audiobooks? I'm like, why would I? What? None of this makes sense. (laughs) I know. Yeah. No, I I think it's great. I was going to say, I'm a little offended when people listen to my narrated books on two and a half speed. That's offensive. I've spent a lot of time putting nuance into this performance. It's all lost. I'm just going to start reading fast to begin with. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's, I listen to so many audio books and I think sometimes it depends on the narrator. 
if they're a little more dulcet toned. I think that Neil Gaiman somehow is an amazing narrator and an amazing author, but God dang, dude, his voice is just so butter that I have to listen to like the ocean at the end of the lane or whatever. Uh, uh, dozens of times. I just get, I just fall asleep. It's the middle of the day. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm scared to listen to it while I drive. Right. Because I think he's just going to narcolepsy me. So <laughs> That's a verb, by the way. Yeah. No, I, hey, listen, get in. The problem is people don't consume books enough. And I think any way that you can get it in, I, I'm all for it. If you fall asleep, so be it. That's fine. Whatever. I don't care. Buy, buy my audiobooks and fall asleep to them every night. I could care less. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And please listen on script because then you get paid more and over and over again. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Don't so rent it from the library because apparently it doesn't make me much money at all. <laughs> Every time I look at that, I'm like, good Lord. It's interesting you brought up Neil Gaiman because um, he had, there was a quote about when somebody asked him if he thought audiobooks were re really reading. And he said, do you feel like people, blind people who read Braille are really reading? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I think as going back to the passive thing, I think what can make them passive is that so like when we're reading a book, whether it's an ebook or Braille or a, a print book, that's all we're doing. Right. You have to sit there and, and you have to do this, but you can multitask when you're reading an audiobook. And if you haven't developed the skill to listen, let's say you're stressed and you're like, I'm just so stressed, I'm going to do it. Your mind can wander back to your stress. And then pretty soon you're like, oh, how many pages did Craig just read at his beautifully narrated speed? And I just don't even know what he said. So I have to go back. <laughs> so it's definitely, so it can be for some people a passive thing. Some people, and it's an active thing. And it's like storytelling in the olden days. People would read, would actually just tell the story to you. So we're going back to the basics with audiobooks. But they would usually be around the table, around the fire or whatever. And they would just act, be actively listening. And I think we just don't actively listen enough. So until we get that sort of skill up. I do have a tiny little tip. Craig's going to hate it. But if you have trouble getting into an audiobook, like I keep losing my place or whatever, my brain is wandering, temporarily set the speed up to 1.5 or something, because what it does is it makes, it forces you to have to pay attention, right? To what's going on. Like your brain is in a different space. And then after you get used to it, now I have the skill of listening to an audiobook. Now you can turn it back down to the intended speed. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. One of my favorite audiobook stories remains the person who had, they were, they'd never had any of the Sherlock Holmes books. They like, they'd never read any of that. And so they were on a long car trip and decided that they were going to get one of these on CD and listen to it. And they got to the midway point of the trip and were just like, I'm in my sixties. I clearly passed the point where I could listen to this. Maybe it's early onset dementia. I don't know. I cannot make head or tail of this. It turned out their CD player was on shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, it's like that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's like the memento of audiobooks. You know what I mean? What's going on? Where am I? This is good news for my mental health. Oh, man, that is classic. <laughs> that is classic. It does bring to mind. I remember there was. There used to be when, when I was a kid. They had choose your own adventure style books on tape. 
And then it was like, fast forward to this number, to this, this spot for this. And it was really hard to do. And then when they got to like CDs, then it was like, skip to track this. If you want to do this, skip to track that, if you want to do that. And <laughs> still too much work, but now there could be like an app, like, but like they could build this stuff into an app. They do. Those are very successful apps. And you have to buy, like, you get two of the five options and then you have to buy gems in order to pick oh, the better ones. Oh, that's mm-hmm. evil. <laughs> no, they're like, super, they're really, they're like in the dating sim category a lot of the time. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's like a whole thing. Huh. Wow. Who knew? Pippa knew. Oh, I yeah. forgot to mention that as I, I've been listening to audiobooks for many years and I used to, I now fall asleep with them and I've been doing that for a long time. When I was a kid, they were cassette tapes and I got there. There's no agony, like going to sleep with your cassette tape playing, waking up in the morning only to find out that your favorite tape has become entangled in the machinery mm. of the cassette player mm. and then trying to get the tape out ugh, and it's all wrinkled. And then you got to spool it up. Sometimes you have to splice it because some parts are, it's just so sad. <laughs> yeah. And those sets were like 70 bucks. So like, you're definitely going to splice it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was just <laughs> yeah. a night. I'm going. This, I think we need to change topics. I've gone down a terrible memory lane. This is so traumatic for me. Well, the funny thing in the article is when I went through it is so they use Scribd is their data source for this because it's a subscription service and they provide a bunch of data because Audible and others don't report back how many times somebody has read it. But because Scribd pays based on plays, like a Spotify kind of a model, they report all these things and. Some people would read like the same, listen to the same book. Oh, like 91 person. It was 90% of his whole listening was this one trilogy, like, like a cozy mystery kind of a thing, just on repeat over and over again, every night. And they can tell when they're doing it by, by the time of day that they're doing it, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's jump on to the next one. So this one's big for a lot of newer authors. It's you look. I love it. I love it. I do. I love it, man. I want, I've been wanting to start a podcast about pro- people's process for years, man. Yeah. It's my favorite thing to think about. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's great. I love to talk about that stuff too. So they they looked at the daily routines of successful authors and found a lot of interesting things about it. What was your, so if you wanted to be like, and there's articles all the time. Hey, if you want to be like, Neil Gaiman, this is what he does. He writes long-handed with a fountain pen and a notebook that he found in an antique store. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna, I don't think that's gonna make me a successful author. But some of this other stuff in this article is pretty is pretty good. What do you think about that, RA? Man, I think that I think that what this the reason why I found this comforting when I first started writing, like however many years ago, was that there were a lot of different ways to skin a cat and still be productive. And I also found that I also found it heartening that there's really no special sauce, right? Like you just have to write, you have to write, maybe you write early, maybe you write at night, but you have to write like it. You can get paralysis analysis when you're first starting because you're trying to learn everything and it's just you're drinking from a fire hydrant. You know what I mean? And it's just smacking you in the face. These people, they wake up early, they write, they do okay. These people, they wait, they write late at night. You know what I mean? Kafka writes after he gets off of work. Like I don't talk about it very often. Actually, I'd never talk about it on the show, but I have a day job that takes up 
a tremendous amount of my time. And this is exactly right. You can make it with a day job. It seems like when you're just watching people, you want to emulate people that they sit around and they drink coffee and they write and that's all they do. And the fact is I work 50, 60 hour weeks at the day job and I still write as much as I want to write as much as I need to. And no matter how much money I make from writing, I'm not quitting my day job. So it's just piling, piling on top of each other. But no, man, this is, I just love all of this. I think that a lot of people may not want to hear what some people say. It's always really touchy when you're like, Hey, you probably need to just write every day. And people are like, I need the muse to kick me in the testicles before I can get the into the moment. <laughs> the muse, the muse plays rough sometimes. <laughs> and uh, you haven't like, written in a while. Exactly. <laughs> Funny how that works. Exactly. And it's just, the fact is it, you're just never going to get there. If you just don't start writing, like right. your writing needs to be something. If that means you write all day, Saturday and Sunday, then that's what it is. Yeah. But you need to do something and you're probably better off putting yourself on some form of schedule or it's easy for it to just. Yeah. And I have never found any correlation in between the quality of the writing when I go back to edit and how I felt while I was writing it. Amen. So just seize the moments. Like I know people that have written books that they had like little 15 minute breaks while they were going to pick up their kids from soccer practice. And they like literally wrote against the steering wheel. <laughs> I wrote a whole, I wrote a whole book on vacation in my, at my parents' house in the front seat, in the passenger seat of their minivan in the garage. It was the only place I could get any peace and quiet. We were there for two weeks. I woke up super early. I'm not a super early person. I woke up super early. I was up for about three hours. I got my three or 4,000 words done. I did that every day for two weeks and I had a solid rough draft and I will never do that again. But in the moment it worked, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Look, I, so I've been a stay at home dad to twin boys for almost eight years now from the moment they were born. I've written a series in that time and some other unrelated books. If I waited until I had all the peace and time in the world, I would never have written a thing because you don't do that when you're a stay at home parent. <laughs> in my opinion, it's the hardest job in the world. <laughs> and it, so yeah, it, so also I get thing though, my biggest tip I think what I would give to somebody for a successful author daily routine and success means different things to everybody. But I think in this context, if you're making some money at it, this was a revelation to me, but start thinking about your writing as the business. And because I started out like, I'm an artist kind of thing. And so I had to get over that hump of, no, it, you actually start, I need to realize that this is a business and treat it as such. So that was a revelation to me. So that would be other than just sitting down and actually writing, <laughs> that would probably be my biggest tip to seeing some sort of at least financial success in the writing game. Those are great. One of the things that I've noticed, and I've talked about this a lot on podcasts, is that I wrote so much more before. I wrote so much more when I had a day job than I did when. So the last few years, I went from having a corporate day job to being a health coach, writing, running a health membership, and doing a variety of things, all for the business that my co-author and wife and writing partner all run together. And 
when you're running your own business like that and being a full-time author would also be a business, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things that you can wake up in the morning and go, oh, I better not write because I have this email I need to send. I better not write because I have, or I'm going to write later because I have this other, I have to post something on social media. And when I was just working the day job and writing my books, books were just flowing. I would get up in the morning and I would be like the day job. It doesn't start until eight. No problem. All right. They're not even going to call me. They don't even expect me to answer the phone until eight o'clock. No big deal. And then at lunch, they're like, oh, they don't even check in. I just tell my boss. If my boss calls me, hey, can I call you back? I'm at lunch and I just keep writing. I get off work. Sometimes it's late. Sometimes you're tired. But I wrote more at the end of the day, exhausted from work than I did from while I was not exhausted during the day running my own business because there's just this mental stuff going on behind your, it's like your CPU cycles or like you've all had this application that's running on your phone or something. And the only thing you can do is reboot your phone or restart your computer because there's something slowing the whole thing down and you don't know what it is. Yeah. It's your business. It's just stress. <laughs> so there's a couple of articles. There's a couple of examples in there where it talks about authors who continued with their day job and didn't quit too early. And I think that's really good, really good idea to, to consider that you may write more and you may enjoy your writing more. When, when it's part of your day and you have an, another source of income as well. No one yeah, I think you're absolutely, I think you're absolutely right because I find that aside from writing in the minivan and stuff, generally, like if I have days off from work, I'm like, oh man, I got this time off. Wife's gone. Kids are gone. I can, oh, I can write all day. I'm not writing all day. I'm not <laughs> writing all day at all. It's not even close. <laughs> you know what I mean? I might write after I play Call of Duty, but probably not. And like, maybe I'll go lift a little bit of weights and then I'll, I'll write after I lift, but I won't. You know what I mean? It, there's no urgency when I have a whole day. Whereas when I know yes. I got to go to work, I have a sense of urgency and I try to make That's it good. a point to knock it out because it writing is important to me. It makes me money and I'm thankful for that. But beyond that, I find it incredibly therapeutic and I don't believe that I am as good of a person when I'm not writing as I am when I do write. And my wife would probably attest to that. I just make it a priority and I just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest takeaway that has changed me already from this article is the examples of, I don't remember which author they said did it, but said he locked himself in the laundry room or something like that to... That was Stephen King, wasn't it? When he wrote Carrie yeah. and Salem's Lot, I think. Just to close out the family. And I've had that that too. And um, I have actually gone out to the garage and got in the back seat of my SUV and have a little lap desk and started writing before because there's, mm -hmm. sometimes there's just too much going on. We had guests stay for two weeks and we don't have that many houses and they're really loud. And I'm like, they're staying in their, my, their guest room with my office. After two days of not being able to write, I'm like, you know what? I can just go sit in the car in the garage and super quiet in the car, man. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. So this is a really good art. I think this one's really inspiring. People, there's some tough love kind of stuff in there because, like, the, one of the takeaways was, don't wait for the most comfortable moment to write. Like, if you want to write, find some way to write, even when it's not. Even if you can't get up and grind your coffee first thing in the morning, that's not a good excuse not to write. Like, find a routine that does not require extreme comfort and the perfect opportunity. Yeah. The perfect well, and I think another thing that I know you were just wrapping up and I'm dragging you back in. No, it's fine. But 
I think another thing that's important, like you mentioned, grinding the coffee is becoming too ritualized. You know what I mean? It's have to write at this desk at this time with my pour over right here and my water here. And I was guilty of that when I first started writing, you know what I mean? This is how I write. I can't make the magic. That's big. Air I can only guys. write while wearing a black turtleneck next to the skin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Had like shorts that I always wore and a couple of different t-shirts. Big and shorts. if I, yeah. And if I didn't write that, wear that stuff, like They're very airy, it wasn't going to flow. You know what I mean? I need my undercarriage oh, to be cool. Deduction cooling. So it gets hot when you write, Pippa, you know what I'm talking about. It gets hot when you write. This is audio, but I wish you could see Pippa's face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we writers can get so precious so quickly. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it is good to go write in your SUV sometimes or go to the park. You know what I mean? This guy, Dagum Craig, is posting pictures of him in front of this amazing lake, like <laughs> writing. I was so jealous of the guy. Sometimes you just go to cool places and write, man. Yeah. So there's good write reasons to have there's good reasons to have a routine. There's good reasons to have a good writing desk. But also like you can get in the habit of take yourself out of your comfort zone and like, grab your laptop and go somewhere where it's not perfect and write periodically just to keep yourself fresh, yeah. just to show yourself that you can do it. Yeah, because you're the weapon. You know what I mean? It's not your laptop. It's not the pen you use. It's not the paper. It's not your yeah. seat. Like it's you. Make sure you stay sharp. Yeah. 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 Thanks, everybody. This was a great, I mean, we ended on a fun one. And I think it was probably an important one because I think a lot of people can read this article and which will be in the show notes, Nick, right? When you post them and from self publishing formula. Because getting in, whether it's a daily writing routine or whether it's finding a way to, to go with the flow. If you want to write, you're going to find a way to do it. Don't be precious. I think R.A. said. That was Craig, but I like it. I'm taking right. him precious. Okay. okay. Don't wait for the perfect shorts. Oh, How's that? That's hard, man. I, it's hard for me, but I'll do my best. They were nice, man. They have pockets. My phone in one. Are you easily. okay? You still have them? Yeah. Heck yeah, I have them. Are you kidding me? I can't get those are my lucky shorts. I can't get rid of them. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. But I'm not wearing them now, so we're good. Cool, cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Author News Weekly. Why don't you get real quick, tell us where we can, where our listeners can find you. Best. I am at ramcgee.com, which was fortunately available when I needed a domain name. So Nice, nice. Yeah. New website just launched earlier this week, thrillercraig.com. Going hard with the branding. Ooh, thrillercraig.com. Nice. That's amazing. And I'm on uh, Twitter at Moira Katzen which I will put in the show notes as to how awesome. to spell that. <laughs> awesome. And I'm Roland Denzel. I'm at the easiest way for author-related stuff, indestructibleauthor.com. And yeah, it's great to talk to you all and look forward to coming back and overthinking next week's news with Author News Weekly. Have a great week, everybody. See you. Yeah.